through 2. Um, I know this is uh, my third time uh, back, at this, uh, at, back at this church. Uh, we, January, I think we came and gave a little, a little, a little sharing time. And then, um, was it May or June? Came and preached, and then now here. And so, um, yeah, so I feel like every time I'm coming back, there's like new faces. Um, <laughs> maybe not new to you, but new to me. And so it's been a, a tremendous privilege to, again, to be able to come back. And I really appreciate Pastor Jonathan and just the intentionality uh, that's there um, uh, to just maintain that relationship. And uh, just to give an update, um, there's still no, like, departure date um, in terms of our time to leave. Um, for those who uh, don't know, uh, we're, we're called to go to Taiwan uh, to serve the churches there. And so we're still waiting for the borders to open up. And um, there's like every now and then there's like hopes of progress. And then there's like, you know, t- two steps back. And then you're like, oh, man, you know. So um, I've learned to just take everything with um, pessimism is not the right word. But, you know. <laughs> Reality, you know, just be real, you know, and, you know, not to get too high up and not to get too low down, you know, so, uh, and, then, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a really a good picture of the Christian faith in general, too, so, um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the update with us, but until then, um, I will continue to love to come back here and to get to know you guys and to encourage you uh, through the word and, and, um, and really see uh, Christ's church being built up in America so that um, it could still be a, a, a sending force um, in terms of sending missionaries out into this world um, so that the gospel could be shared uh, in the areas of darkness that still exist. And so we'll, um, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, and so I'll read the text, and then, uh, we'll, get, and then we'll get started. Uh, reading from the ESV, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for the worship, the praise that we're able to give. Um, Thank you, Lord God, for all the reminders that you give us that Christ has redeemed us and that you have made, transformed something that was old into new. And Lord God, we pray that you would enable us by your spirit and by your strength um, to live out our lives the way in which you intend us to. And I pray, Lord God, for our text this morning, that it will give us encouragement, it will give us clarity. Uh, Pray, Lord God, that it will give us courage uh, to continue to run this race. That, Lord God, we will not um, lose hope, that we will not um, become fearful, but rather, Lord, we would remain faithful to the task at hand. So help us, Lord God, to embrace this, to find joy in it, and that, Lord, ultimately you will be honored and glorified. And so we thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So for many of you guys who've uh, heard my story, um, I had served my time, I have served some time overseas in East Asia, uh, especially right after I graduated from 
from college. And right after I graduated from college, or right after I graduated from college, I lived in East Asia for about a year and a half. And after that, I came back to America. And during that time, uh, my friend, kind of when I came back to America, came up and called me and said, hey, do you want to go running with me? And he was like, I, you know, I go early in the morning. I run early in the morning, and then we'll be back before 8 o'clock. And I'm like, I'm jet lagged. Sure, why not, you know? And so, um, so I go and meet him at his place, and we're going out. And I'm like, I didn't even ask him, where are we running? Are we running on a track? Are we running, like, in the neighborhood? All of a sudden, I'm saying, like, we're going to the beach. And I'm like, holy moly, we're going to be running on the beach? He's like, yeah, man, this is what I do, this is what I do like, every morning. And I'm like, okay. And so we park, and I'm just like, you know, I'm wearing, like, a baggy T-shirt. I'm wearing some heavy basketball shorts, and I'm wearing basketball shoes because I just, I just came back from East Asia. I mean, it's not like I had, like, my New Balances and, like, my, I, and I'm not wearing running shorts. Um, but, you know, I was really Ill, ill-equipped for that run. And on top of that, when we got there, I'm like, where are we running to? And we, you know, we parked. And I'm like, we're running to that pier. And I'm like, that pier? <laughs> and it's three miles there, three miles back. Yeah, and it, 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 was, it was a learning experience. It was a learning experience about running. Um, you know, to run six, three miles there, three miles back, in heavy basketball shoes, heavy clothing, it really was not an enjoyable run. Um, in fact, I, again, I don't even like running in the first place, so that just affirmed it even more. Um, but however... I think professional and amateur runners can understand the importance of what you wear and the equipment you use that can really maximize your comfort and your performance, right? And again, the Bible is very clear in many of its analogies that describe the Christian faith like an athletic event, right? Like a marathon, right? 1 Corinthians 9.24 um, says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Right? Uh, Philippians 2.16 holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, right? So like all throughout the Bible, I might give you an Old Testament reference, Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so just all throughout the Bible, we have this image of a race, a race that all people of God are in. But when you sit and think about running, especially in a marathon, a lot of things can take place, right? I mean, if, you, like, if I go back to that time where I ran with my friend at the beach, I remember the fatigue, the pain, right? I mean, my feet were not the same afterwards, <laughs> right? Injuries could take place, Right? And if we think about all those different things and kind of make an analogy to the Christian faith, right, there's a, there's a lot of connections there. I mean, r- running this Christian faith, 
you will come across doubt. You will come across discouragement in the Christian faith. You will come across fear and a lack of clarity. And the list can go on and on. And so I titled this sermon, God's Game Plan to Patiently Endure This Race, because I believe this year has been very different, right? It's been different for all of us. I mean, a year ago, we weren't, we weren't in this situation where you guys could be in the, in the building worshiping God, right? Um, no one expected a pandemic. No one expected the fear that came as a result. No one expected a life completely rattled by death. And, you know, you guys know my situation, right? We didn't expect to be in the States for this long. You know, every time I'm like, I'm going to do, a, you know, fill the pulpit or to preach or to give a, give a sermon, I just keep thinking it's, it's like a, a bittersweet moment because I love this. I like to meet you guys. I want to serve you. But at the same time, too, I'm like, I know I shouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, I should be out on the field. You know, I should be, I should be uh, going out and uh, evangelizing and sharing the gospel with those that God has called us to. Um, you know, raising a family here and unable to lay down roots, you know, has been a challenge for our family. And so a lot of things, right, are coming into our lives as we're running this race, causing us to be distracted, causing us to be, to be limping around um, instead of running the race as we should. And despite the challenges, God has graced us with means for us to patiently run this race. And so this morning, I'm going to look at three vital components to patiently run this race. Okay, there's three vital components. And the first vital component is a history to look back upon. A history to look back upon. Right? If you look at verse 1 here, therefore creates a turn in the author's message, right? Uh, Whereas the author was building up a convincing and important argument concerning the supremacy of Christ, Right? If you look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Hebrews, the author was talking about Christ is better than the angels, Christ is better than Moses, Christ is better than the Levitical high priest, he's better than the Mosaic covenant and sacrifices. All, he is raising up Christ as being supreme over all of these different things. And this is all done as a means to encourage the audience to not stray away from the faith. Right? If we look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, I mean, it's a very simple purpose of this letter. Hebrews 2, 1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And again, that's a timely reminder for the church today. Because this pandemic has brought about a lot of distractions. And if we are not paying close attention to what we have heard, be, re- be assured that we are in danger of, being drift- of drifting away from what the church should be focusing on. Right? And in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews went down this list of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. Right? And a description of these heroes are people, um, if we look at he- Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. Right? It's a kind of a brief summary of all of, all of the names listed. But these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. And so we see in, in, that, in, the, in those uh, two verses there, three verses there, right, is a description of everybody described in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, famously known as the Hall of Faith, right? It is these names that the author of Hebrews is saying are surrounding the current believers as a cloud of witnesses, right? In verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this word surrounded here, it's a similar term that is used to describe something hanging around your neck, okay? Um, When I was younger, um, I was really into accessorizing, (laughs) right? Watches, hats, you know, whatever, you know? Um, And there was a time where I used to dabble into necklaces, right? And back in my day, like the Hawaiian culture was really, really cool, right? And so they had these things called puku shell necklaces, right? <laughs> and so um, I remember looking at my friends. They had some, and I'm like, oh, man, I need, I, I need to accessorize. And so I remember looking around, going to my local Miller's Outpost and trying to find a puku shell necklace there, okay? And um, I know they don't have Miller's Outpost anymore, so... <laughs> For all the younger people, I'm sorry. Um, it's like your version of, uh, I don't know. I can't even say American Eagle. I don't think it's American Eagle, man. I don't know. Anyways, so I, I got a puka shell necklace. I put it on, and you know what? I look back, and it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. <laughs> My neck was too fat. You know, and, I, you know, I try to, I try to, I try to um, just power through it because I'm like, it looks cool. <laughs> and yet it was so uncomfortable, right? I felt it. It was on my neck. It was uncomfortable. It was scratchy. Every time I moved, it felt like, you know, something was like just, you know, just kind of clawing at my neck, right? It was irritable, and you, I could feel it. I could feel it on my neck. In a positive way, right, when we think of this word surrounded here, This cloud of witnesses is so great and is so close to us in proximity that we cannot not notice the power of their witnesses, right? When it says that we are so surrounded by a so great cloud of witnesses, the author of Hebrews is telling the believer here, right, that that these witnesses that went before you, your history, your tradition, right, is there for you, right? It's there, for, it's available for you to serve you, right, as a means of an encouragement, right? We live in a time and age where biographies and autobiographies are being published of Christian heroes of long ago, right? And as your church grows, right, each one of you will play a part in each other's spiritual growth, Right? We could literally spend an entire Sunday sermon looking at each other, at each um, name listed in Hebrews chapter 11. But in the end, what we find in Hebrews chapter 11 are imperfect people being used in God's plan of salvation and who now serve as a history for us to look upon for encouragement. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how often do we find encouragement in our Christian heritage? You know, in our current time, 
much damage has been made upon community. You know, because of the separation, because of the fear, um, community is, has, been, um, has been damaged, right? And it's so important that the church needs to continue to meet together because that is how the church is designed, to meet together as one body to worship God, right? The Western worldview wants us to make things individualistic, but the biblical worldview informs us that God designed all believers to do life together as one body. And as a result, it is important to recognize believers who have gone before us, both living and gone, as sources of encouragement to patiently run this race. You know, I was, it was a really honor. It was really cool to see this baby dedication. Uh, it was really cool to see um, just a multi-generational family, you know? I mean, just to be honest, like, uh, both my, my, myself and my wife, I mean, we're, we're, the, we're like the first-generation Christians. And so there's not much of a history, Christian tradition for us. And so it's kind of like a lot of it has been laid on us to kind of establish it for our kids, Right? But nonetheless, I mean, we have other families around us, other godly families who serve as a role model for us, right? And I see that in, our, in, in your church as well, right? You have a lot of different generations of believers. And I think that's, that's a really, really potentially fertile ground for a community to grow and to encourage each other. Like, I wonder... You know, and then, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe, I'll be, maybe I'll be corrected. I don't know. You know, but do you guys know each other's testimonies? You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious, you know, like, um, after our brother gave that song and, you know, I, I, you know what, made the, what made the song so encouraging for me was, you know, the, the personal involvement with the song, you know? It wasn't some guy singing a song mechanically. It was sung by a person who has, been, who has been redeemed, right? And you guys all have the same testimony, maybe a different path, but it all ends up to the same person, Jesus Christ, right? And so my encouragement for you, this church, is to really maximize that, right? Find the time to meet together, you know? I know, I know Sundays, I mean, Sundays might be too busy, you know, granted, but there's... All these Bible studies I'm seeing being announced. There's a bunch of opportunities for uh, brothers and sisters to meet together, you know. And there's that's such a potential there, and to encourage you guys to to keep doing that as a means to encourage one another to patiently endure this race. Now I, want, I would like to move on to the second component here. Okay, the first component was a history to look back upon. Now the second component to run this race. Uh, to patiently endure this race is, to, is a call to lay aside every sin. A call to lay aside every sin, right? We see there in verse 1, again, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And the author of Hebrews, after highlighting the great cloud of witnesses, moves to a call for them to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, right? During the time of Rome, the imagery of a Roman athlete who runs in a race comes up. And during that time, they knew. They were not like me wearing heavy shoes, heavy clothes. They knew if they're going to run this race, 
then we're going to run this race with as least amount of clothing as possible. And during this time, some of them were just completely naked, right? In order to maximize their effort, in order to maximize their performance. In running our race, the author is saying to self-examine and to take off the sins and vices that would hinder our running. Again, considering the times we live in now, I think if we're talking about um, uh, finding God's grace in suffering, right, during this pandemic, what this pandemic has done is it has revealed a lot of what is inside the heart of man, right? We're not talking about the non-believer. We're talking even the believers themselves, right? This pandemic has been one big squeeze of the sponge that is called the heart, and when you squeeze the sponge, you get to see what comes out, right? And we can see that what is in the heart of man, safety, right? There's concerns for safety. There is fear, anger, isolation, self-centeredness, and much, much more, right? When you look at the Christian and when all this stuff happens, you see all these, all of this stuff come out. And yet, when you look at all those things, you have to ask yourself, are these the fruit of the Spirit? Are these reactions characteristic of a believer of Jesus Christ? Or have these perspectives taken an ungodly hold on how we live in this post-pandemic world? This is the call for us as believers. If we are finding ourselves acting and responding to this situation similar to the world, then this is the time for us to strongly consider and to follow through in laying aside encumbrances to our race. Like, as a missionary, I mean, just as a Christian, right, one of our, I would say, primary callings is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest, when I came back, I mean, oh, gosh, I was, it was one of those, those problems I was always wrapping my head around. How do I share the gospel to people who are afraid to talk to me? Right? Because, I mean, right? I mean, you know, I'm, it's just like you try to talk to someone. They're like, dude, you know, six feet away, you know, and it's like, okay, I get it. You know, one of my primary means of going to share the gospel is going to a park because I have kids, right? But in the midst of all that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my kids, you know, I'm, I'm, like, too worried about them, like, hey, hey, get away from that kid, you know, like, go play on this part of the side, you know, and then it's, like, I've let the fear of, of COVID, you know, overcome the desire to share the gospel with people, Amen. right? And it just, it finally got to the point where I'm just, like, I'm just sick and tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting for COVID zero to happen, right? I'm just tired of waiting because... Each day that goes by, people are dying without knowing Christ. Amen. You know? And so finally I said, you know what? I called up, I called up a church, a local church nearby me, and I said, hey, let's just go to that park. And just, let's just go and share the gospel with people. Right? I don't care. I don't care if we don't talk to anybody. I don't care if we get, zero, if we get all rejections. I just need to get out there and share the gospel with people, you know. And so we've been going out there every other week, you know, just faithfully talking to high school students, talking to parents, talking to anyone who has two ears and maybe, a, you know, 
an opportunity, right? <laughs> to bring this good news, right? I'm not saying my example is for everyone, but there is inherently with this call a need to self-examine and to find those sins that restrict us from living the lives God has called us to live in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we move on to our final component, okay? We move on to our final component here. Our final component is an inspirational example to look upon, Jesus Christ, right? Third component is an inspirational example to look upon. I know you, you might hear me out and say, like, oh, verse 1, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And it's like, man, that sounds so pharisaical. Man, like, that sounds work-based. Why do we have to lay aside sin when Christ died for us all, right? And that, that's a very big, you know, theological topic that Pastor Jonathan could talk about next time, right? Amen. <laughs> yeah. Right? But the reason why we lay aside our sins... The reason why we cast away our sins, right? Because though we've been redeemed, we still live in the flesh. Though we have been saved by the grace of God, we are not yet, we are not yet perfected, right? Christ, the, the author of Hebrews, tells us that we have an inspirational example to look upon, Right? I mean, when you think about inspirational examples, right? You think about certain leaders in your lives, right? Certain leaders in your lives who have provided for you an example or provided for you an inspiration to work very hard, right? I mean, I think about my previous bosses in in terms of how I, in my workplaces, and they might not be the most inspirational people to other people, but I always try to find inspiration in them, right? Whether their, their, their work ethics, right? Their ability to communicate, right? Um, whether it's um, their ability to foster a community, right? These are all inspirational traits that, for me, makes me to work hard, right? I'm inspired by that, right? Or another example would be parents, right? Parents who work hard for their kids, Right? And maybe their kids don't notice it right there and then, right? Amen. Right, they don't, right? <laughs> Until they get their own kids and they realize, oh my gosh, all the work you put into me, you know, I'm doing that to now, now I understand. And so it's like you got to wait until you become grandparents to actually, you know, cash in that, <laughs> to cash in that credit, right? Right? Or even workers who just work hard because their supervisor is inspirational and motivational, right? In a superior way, Christ, who has saved us and redeemed us with his blood for salvation, is worth so much more, right? And as a result, should cause us to desire to cast aside our sins, to lay them aside, so that we may run this race without uh, encumbrance. And so we come to why Christ? Why is Jesus our inspirational example to look upon, right? We see in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, the word founder there, when you hear this word, it makes you think of someone who lays the foundation, right? And that's true, right? The founder is someone who probably started something, lays the foundation, um, and that is true of Jesus. Without his death and resurrection, our faith would have no solid foundation. As Paul would say, we would be the most 
we would be the ones most pitied. Right? But this word in the Greek also has the meaning of leading. Right? The word founder there means leading. Jesus not only established the foundation, but he also opened the path for salvation to be obtained. In other translations, they translate this word as pioneer, that Jesus pioneered our faith. So in so much that we admire and put onto pedestal those who have pioneered and trailblazed new careers or people who have discovered new scientific or technological advances, right? How much more should we admire and be amazed at the work Jesus accomplished at Calvary? He was not only the first one to do that, he is the only one to have done that, right? And that's not enough, right? The author of Hebrews didn't just stop at being the founder of our faith, right? He goes on to say that he is also the perfecter of our faith, as if he needs to add more information, more truth for us to be inspired by him. He is the perfecter of our faith. This term, perfecter, describes someone who will bring into completion, right? We have been justified, right? Currently, we are being sanctified, right? And eventually, we will all be glorified in heaven with our new bodies. And so, until then, Jesus' one of many roles is to bring about completion of our salvation from the past until we're glorified. So, even right now, as we run this race, Jesus is perfecting us. He is bringing our salvation into completion, whether it be through trials and sufferings, whether it be through blessings and, and success, right? All of this is designed for us to be perfected, to be made complete. So what is described before us in these two words sums up Christ's role in our lives. What would you consider inspirational people in your lives? Right? Think about someone in your life that is inspirational. Think about someone, maybe a book you've read of, of an of a autobiography of someone who is inspirational. And let's, I mean, we could, we, we could do a cross-check here, right? I mean, does your inspiration live in perfect obedience to God's law? Does your inspiration exhibit power and authority no man has ever commanded? Does your inspiration carry tremendous weight and burden and yet show compassion to the needy and poor? Does your inspiration disciple a group of fishermen who later turn into the pillars of the church? Does your inspiration raise people from the dead? Does your inspiration forgive sins? Does your inspiration absorb the wrath of God deserved for his enemies? Does your inspiration resurrect from the grave after three days? Does your inspiration ascend and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? I shared this before in my last sermon here, but the danger of the Christian life is that as they walk daily with the Lord, is that we become too familiar with the holy. Right? We become too familiar with the holy And when we become familiar, that inspiration diminishes, right? It brings to mind Romans chapter 12, 2, when it states, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This renewing of the mind is a constant thing. We have to renew our inspiration of Christ. Now, sometimes we look at the inspiration and we're like, wow, that's so inspiring, but I can't be like that person, right? I think about Steve Jobs, right? I mean, he was so inspirational to a lot of people, right? The way he developed this technology and was able to do all this stuff. And yet no one's ever going to claim and say, I'm going to be like Steve Jobs, you know? I mean, maybe you'll be inspired by him in your own context, right? But no one's ever going to be another Steve Jobs. But see, with Christ, he did not simply serve as an inspiration. In fact, one of his inspirational acts is the example he set before us. Notice in verse 2 the verb looking to Jesus. In the Greek, this word implies a transition of looking away from one thing to another. So you're looking away, if we're looking at this context here in verses 1 through 2, you're looking away from the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You're looking at Jesus. Insomuch that we find examples and encouragement from our Christian tradition and witnesses, verse 2 reminds us where our primary source should come from, from our Lord and Savior. And rightfully so, we make several observations concerning his example. Right? This is the part that we need to really look into our lives, right? Verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The first phrase I want us to look at is who for the joy that was set before him. In a similar way that we have a race set before us, Jesus' race include a tremendous joy that was set before him. Now, this word joy could be gladness, right? That could be another word that describes it. And we see that this gladness was a trademark characteristic of Jesus, of Jesus during his ministry. In fact, in John chapter 15 and 11, speaks of Jesus' joy being in his disciples. You know, in John chapter 15, verse 11, this comes after... Um, Jesus talks about, about himself being the vine and the father being the vine dresser, right? And how do you cause vines to grow? Sometimes you've got to snip, right? You've got you to you gotta take off the, 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 the dead branches so that the, the live branches could receive the nutrients, right? Now, after saying all these things, Jesus says in John chapter 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, so see that connection there. You got this sanctifying process, joy, right? You got snip, snipping away. I mean, I'm sure that's painful, right? <laughs> and joy. Now consider that the context of what this speaks of, pruning and abiding in Christ, and thus receiving the joy that Christ possesses. Furthermore, in Christ's high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in this world, that they, the disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in them. The example of Jesus' joy as he faced the cross is something for us to exemplify in our lives. 
because that is something that he prayed for and taught about. It is a joy that we partake in with Christ, thus only making our relationship stronger. I mean, when you look around our, our situation, a lot of suffering, a lot of uncertainty, just a lot, just a big mess, right? It's a dumpster fire, right? And what should be the Christian's response to all of this, right? If you look at Christ as our example, it's joy. He faced the situation with joy. Jesus knew exactly what hell is to come, right? He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to receive God's wrath. And yet, he spoke of it on several occasions, yet joy was what was characterized. And while we may not know a lot of things during this pandemic, there's so much talk out there, what we do know as Christians is that we continue to be the light in this world of darkness. Our response is different. Our response, as we see here, is one of joy. But we continue on in verse 2, and it says, He endured. He endured the cross. So in Jesus' joy, what did he receive? And we all know what he received. The cross was waiting for him, right? The excruciating pain and suffering of not only being nailed to the cross, but receiving the full wrath of God on the behalf of those who are saved. Again, the word endured here gives us an image of someone standing firm in the midst of opposition. Right? Every part, right? I mean, I cannot imagine Jesus having to endure that. Knowing that he was about to die. Knowing that suffering was going to come. And yet he still persevered to the end to complete that. So what is Christ standing firm against? I know there are many answers here, but the author of Hebrews wants to focus on one. And we go to the phrase, despising the shame. Now the word despise there means to consider something of little importance in comparison to something else. Right? To consider something of little importance in comparison to something else. So an example would be, um, you know, big brother despising his little brother over some toy, right? I mean, I'm always constantly teaching my kids that, right? Is this toy more important than your little brother? You say yes, you're going to be in timeout, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're despising your little brother, okay? Um, Or, you know, a wife may feel despised if a husband constantly chooses work over their marriage, right? Sorry, honey, I'm going to be at the office late today. The wife is going to feel despised because she feels that I am of little importance in comparison to your work. In the Bible, Christians are called to despise sin, right? Sin is to be considered of little importance because of what Christ is worth, right? But we see in this example, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. If you've been in the church for a while, then you already know that the cross at the time of Jesus was viewed as one of the most shameful ways to be executed in Roman history. I mean, it brought shame not only to the, to the person who was on the cross, but it brought shame to their family and to their friends, right? 
to be crucified means like you are on display as a convicted felon. Physically brutal, socially shameful, excruciating pain of death, and yet Christ despised it all. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him to bring multitudes into God's kingdom through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Why did Christ despise that shame? It's because of what we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is why Christ endured. That is why Christ despised the shame. Because he was thinking, he knew people like you and me, right? People who are in need of salvation, who needed that. As I conclude, there's a verse that I want to share with you. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he writes, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus makes it clear that followers of Christ will have to carry their cross and follow him. Now when we look at what we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, in seeing how Jesus exemplified how he endured his cross, how may we be inspired to carry our crosses with joy? To carry our crosses as a response to the salvation that we have received. To learn to despise the shame. Right? Because sooner or later, we're going to be coming to a point in this country's history where being a Christian won't be a good thing. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Right? We, we're called, we are the called out ones. Right? This world does not belong to us. Right? So how may we carry our crosses? We look to Jesus as our example. I pray for all of you that this message is nothing new and that you are all carrying your crosses as a response to this great salvation that we have received. I pray that we are all taking advantage of this opportunity to showcase true Christ-like joy to our unbelieving neighbors and co-workers and family members. Take advantage of this time. I don't think I ever imagined living through a pandemic. This is a very unique time. Take advantage of it. Find opportunities to Bring the good news of Christ to those who are around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word continues to shed light onto our paths that we may walk faithfully with you. And Lord, as your word has shared with us this morning, how we may patiently endure this race. Help us, Lord God, to look back upon our history. Help us, Lord God, to lay aside our sins. And Lord God, please help us to find Christ 
as our inspiration and example. We pray, Father God, that you would bring about glory and honor through our lives, that we may glorify you through it all. Help us, Lord God, to overcome the fears, the anxieties. Help us, Lord God, to overcome the sins that are in our lives that may hinder us from truly worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So please, Lord God, help us, guide us, renew us, that we may be a community, a body of believers that will shine this light brightly in this world of darkness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.